What's this? This is the North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. It's time for the announcement. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah! Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Can you sign this for me? Oh, hi. So you, go home, watch Elf. I get it. It's our family Christmas movie, but, but let me ask you a question. How many of you get that excited for Christmas? Go ahead, just raise your hand if you get that excited for Christmas. A few of you. Those are the ones that have had their decorations up since, oh geez, I don't know, probably after Halloween. Okay. See, now here, here's the deal. I like Christmas. I don't love the Christmas season. But once I get into it, I do. I, 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 you know, I get into it. I just, I like to build. I need the timing to be a little bit better. Um, I, I have an issue with, with November Christmas. Um, but it's okay. But here's the thing. Today we talk about, as we enter into our Advent season, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. We're going to talk about, one, what, what Advent is. Okay, why, why we celebrate Advent every year and, and what Advent is supposed to be about. Uh, and then we're going to answer questions about why did certain things happen the way that they did. And so I hope that as we get to the end of this Advent season, um, that we've, we've come to worship Jesus, one, above all the trappings that, that we tend to, to get stuck in, but two, that we come to worship Jesus more clearly because we understand exactly how God has been maneuvering in the world to bring us to this point and what we should be living in Advent for moving forward, okay? Um, but, but the reason I, I like that clip is Buddy the Elf, um, he's, he's so ridiculously excited about Santa coming. It's exciting. Like, I know him. And the thing is, that what was going on in the world at the time that Isaiah was written, that, that Kelly and Jeff read from, and, and to the point where we're going to get into the scriptures now looking at Luke to start with, what was happening is that the entire world, at least the nation of Israel, was looking ahead in this great anticipation about what was what was to be coming, about what was happening, about the Messiah and his arrival. See, that's what we mean when we say Advent. Is See, um, Advent is this idea of looking and waiting with expectation for someone or something of great worth or note. So looking ahead with great anticipation for someone of remarkable standing. So, so when we celebrate Advent, we, we realize what the word means is that the entire nation of Israel, all of the Jews, 
all of the God-fearing Jews anyway, were looking ahead and they were anticipating, they were waiting for someone to come. That's why the passage in Isaiah that Jeff read is so valuable for us because that was Isaiah saying, this is happening. Get ready for this. He will, he, he's coming and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's on his way. And the whole nation was looking with anticipation as to what was coming. And we know the story. We know they didn't necessarily recognize him when he came. And we know that he didn't look exactly like they thought he was going to look. And, and we, we'll deal with that before we're done with Advent. But for right now, I just want you to understand this. That all of Advent was this, this exciting draw that God had placed in the hearts of people that worship him to the fact that there was something that was about to happen. The tension was palpable. It was building. And we're going to get to this point where then when the timing was just right, Jesus comes and changes everything. See, the reason the Advent is, is so important for us is simply because as Jesus steps into human history, he is the most significant, prominent, important person in the history of the world. Jesus has changed things like no one else. Now, even from a secular point of view, that's a reality. See, because even if you don't believe um, that Jesus was God in flesh, even if you disagree that Jesus is God in flesh, you have to at least acknowledge that Jesus turned the world upside down. See, there's no way to view this except to understand that Jesus has changed everything. He's the most prominent person in the history of the world. And, and that's why we start to look at, well, why does God do it that way? Why do things happen like that? And as we, as we unpack this, I hope what you'll see is that not only is Jesus the most prominent figure in history, the most important figure in history, that you'll see that Jesus is God's perfect plan. That Jesus is God's perfect provision, okay? And that Jesus is God's perfect thing for us. It's ex Jesus is exactly what we needed, okay? And, and not only that, but that Jesus is coming back. See, we get this idea, too, that we're like, okay, we celebrate Advent. We're focused on something that happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus came. So we've got a baby in a manger, and he's awesome, and we celebrate joy to the world, the little town of Bethlehem, away in a manger, and it's all good. And, and yeah, it's true. And so we're going to acknowledge those things. But, but I want in the back of your mind as we go through this series that Jesus came once, yes. But he's coming again. And so what that means is, just like the Jews were in this state of palpable anticipation, looking for the coming Messiah, looking for Jesus. Church, we also should be in a state of palpable anticipation, looking for Jesus, waiting for his return. Last words in scripture that are spoken, John writes, is, uh, the, the last thing that he writes is, is, is come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
as he's, as he's sharing um, his revelation that God has given him about what will happen in the end. And, and, then, and, then, he, and, and then at the end of that, he says, okay, so here's, here's, here's the deal. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We should be living in that same state of palpable anticipation about the return of Jesus. We should be living in something that we would call perpetual Advent. Advent that will not end until Jesus returns. And you know what's interesting about that? For some of you, let me ask you this. What would it look like? And then I'll stop lecturing and you will get into the text, I promise. But what would it look like if you were as excited for the return of Jesus as you were about the start of the Christmas season? What would it look like if you were as focused on Jesus' return and being ready for Jesus' return and and working and striving for Jesus' return at least as much as you were focused on getting the lights up and getting the tree up and wrapping the presents and getting ready for December 25th. See, and there's nothing wrong with getting the tree up and getting the lights up and singing the songs and getting ready for December 25th. I mean, we do that all the time, except for the lights. Carrie's really irritated that we don't put lights up. I'm not that guy. But what would it look like if we were as excited for Jesus' return? I had a conversation with somebody. I mean, honestly, like this is a legit conversation that I just had with somebody about a week and a half ago, that they don't come to church much during Christmas because they're so busy with Christmas. Like, like the words came out of their mouth, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, do they know who they're talking to? <laughs> like, really? I'm like, I mean, you, you may get away with that when you talk to your neighbor, Come on. But this is what we do, though. This is what we do. We get so excited about Christmas, but we forget that, that we are in the same position that the Jews were when they were expecting the Messiah. We're in the same position. We are living in an age of expectation. And so as we talk about that first coming, never far from your mind should be this next one. Okay? All right. We're going to start with, uh, well, we're just, we're just going to look at timing today. We're going to look at timing, and I hope as we look at timing of Jesus' arrival, um, that it'll get you thinking about how God works everything together, and how we see that God is above and works through and in all things, and, and hopefully it'll awe you the way it does me. Okay, we'll start here with this text in Galatians 4, uh, verses 4 and 5, and I'm going to tell you this, we're going to be at this text every week during this series. This will be our text that we will dig into every week during this series, Uh, and so I'm just going to show it to you here to start with, and it simply says this, but when the right time came, by the way, this is an Advent purpose statement. You're like, why do we celebrate Advent? What was going on? What was this all about? What we read in Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5 is an Advent purpose statement. When somebody says, what does Christmas mean to you? It's the wrong question, right? You know, we're not looking for a Charlie Brown answer. We're not looking for... When somebody says, what does Christmas mean? This is what Christmas means. This is the Advent purpose statement here. But when the right time came, God sent his son, 
born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. That is an Advent purpose statement. What is the true meaning of Christmas? This is the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas is simply that when the time was perfect, when the right time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. That's important. You need to know that. Why is that important? We'll talk about it next week, just a little bit. But God sent him, subject to the law, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. What's the true meaning of Christmas? I'm going to say it one more time. Carrie's going to say later, man, you repeated yourself a lot. I know, I'm doing it on purpose right now. This, that was unfair. She knew I was doing it on purpose. It doesn't matter. Anyway, this is the, the purpose statement of Christmas. This is an imperative for you to understand. When someone asks you, what is Christmas really about? Here's the answer. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, so that he could buy freedom for those of us that were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And then if you want to, you could say, plus, I love it when our family gets together and we open presents together and there's so many great memories and that's what Christmas is for us as a family. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Make your Christmas memories. Celebrate your Christmas memories. But do not ever be confused that the reason we do Christmas is for this. Uh, Lisa, Lisa, you know, she prayed that prayer. Let's, let's, let's get focused in this. The reason we have Christmas is because of Jesus. And it's not just during this season, it's all the time. It ushers in this new thing for us, okay? All right. So as we get into the Christmas story, we'll see this. Um, this is Luke, he's writing. Uh, Luke writes, uh, by the way, if you're, if you're wondering, uh, as we're getting close to January 1st, don't wait for January 1st uh, to start reading the Bible, but I know some of you will make this New Year's resolution. You're gonna start reading the Bible um, on January 1st, you're gonna get started. Um, and you're not sure where to start, okay? One, start, why not start on December 3rd? It's a good place to start. And, and also, the Gospel of Luke, I think, is a great place to start. Luke, and then straight into Acts, because Luke and Acts are written by the same author. They're both written by Luke, and they're both written in the style of investigative journalism. Luke does research he actually is paid to do this for, for a man named Theophilus, and he does this research. Basically, he goes and he does interviews, and he talks to people, and he compiles, and he collects, and he writes the, the gospel of Luke is, is his account to Theophilus, and, and, and then we, we get to Acts, and he continues uh, with the story of the early church. So if you're looking for a place to start reading scripture, start with Luke and then move straight into Acts and read it as chapter 1 and chapter 2 of this investigative report. Um, to Theophilus. But here, here's what he says in Luke 2, because he's, he's done this, this legwork. It says, at the time, the Roman emperor, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. Uh, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register 
for the census. Continues. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. There's a couple things I want you to know in language. One is, in the original Greek, that who was now expecting a child, okay? And we know that because we know the story. We've heard it plenty of times. She's going to give birth in, in a stable or, or, or cave, really, when, when they're there. Um, but the, the language there for who was now expecting a child really says who was now obviously pregnant. Okay, that's important. We need to understand that. And we go back here and where it says at that time. See, the reason that's so critical, we start talking about the timing and how God works everything together, is when you read this, it, it kind of reads in a matter-of-fact kind of a way. At that time, it just so happens that the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And part of that decree that just seemed to have happened right at this time was that Everybody needed to go to the home of their ancestor to register. And you're like, huh, okay. It's a little tidbit of information. It tells us why Joseph and Mary were on the road in the first place, but, but it doesn't really do a whole lot for us, except it, it really does. When we start thinking about God's timing, there's a lot of things that happen, okay? And you have to understand this. This isn't just some ho-hum matter of fact. In fact... What that means in its original language, at that time, if we look at the original Greek, there's, there's a, a subtle language shift that you need to understand, okay? Uh, normally, it, it doesn't make that much of a difference except in this context. What it means is at the appointed time. Not just at the time that Caesar decided, you know what? I want to do this but at the appointed time. See, it's important for you to understand because what we see here when we understand what's going to happen and unfold is that God is doing something to demonstrate his omniscience. God is doing something to demonstrate his omnipotence. God is doing something to demonstrate his faithfulness, and it matters to us. See, because what God is doing is he is dictating human movement. He is moving people so that the things that he prophesied, the things that he talked about centuries and centuries before will come to pass exactly the way he said they would. And the reason that's so critical for us is because we get to have some intellectual understanding of the fact that this Jesus is the Son of God, that this Jesus is the Messiah. See, one of the things I hear about all the time is that I wish I could believe I wish I could believe, I wish I could believe, but I can't. I'm too reasonable for that. I'm too intellectual. And I love it when they tell me that too. Like, oh, man, I wish I could believe what you believe, but I'm too intellectual. Like, yeah, because I'm a moron. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, because I don't know what I'm doing. I just throw my brain away. No, no, no. But, but this is one of those things as we start to understand this. God dictates centuries past and then we see things that shouldn't happen happen in a way that God dictates so that it looks exactly like he said it was going to look, so that we can bring our brains to the table and we can say, this Jesus is the Son of God. And yes, we have faith, but we also have wisdom. Okay? So, so here's, here's why it's important that at the appointed time, Augustus makes this 
decree that a census should be taken, okay? Because we have to understand that, yes, they were directed to go by a king, but as we read in Proverbs, all of those steps were directed by the king. The God of the universe decrees. Look at Micah 5.2. Here's what Micah 5.2 says, but you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. This is God making what we would call a prophecy. And the prophecy simply says this, that there is this moment in time, O Bethlehem, where a ruler, get this, um, of origins are in the distant past. A ruler will come from you on my behalf. So this is God telling us centuries before, hey, the Messiah is coming, and guess what? He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He is coming from Bethlehem. Okay? The reason that that's important for us is because Joseph and, and Mary were from Nazareth. And so we've got Joseph and Mary, um, and she is pregnant with the Christ child, Okay, and, and God has come to her and God has said, you know what? Or the angel has come to her and spoken and said, you're going to give birth uh, to a son and his name will be Jesus and we'll call him Emmanuel because he'll save the people from their sins and all of this is going to happen and they live in Nazareth. But God has told us centuries before that this child is coming from Bethlehem. A ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come on my behalf to you from Bethlehem centuries before. And now we, we get the words that, that Gabriel speaks to Mary, uh, you know, woman favored by God. All of this is going to happen except you live in Nazareth. We're like, well, how is this going to work? How does this make sense? Well, at the appointed time. Because God is in control. And because God is giving us proof that Jesus is who the word says he is. God's giving us proof at the appointed time, when it, the timing was right, when it was perfect. Caesar, I'm sorry, Augustus, makes the decree. The emperor makes a decree. Hey, everybody, go to your ancestral town to register. And for Joseph, who's a descendant of David, which, by the way, is another prophecy, another promise that the Messiah would be in the line of David, because David's ancestral town was from Bethlehem. That's where Joseph had to go to register. So we see this way that, that God is working through here. And there's more than that, too. You know, we, we, we even have to examine this. Why did Mary even go? Some of you are like, because it's in the story. Right? Mary was probably the only pregnant woman to travel with her husband um, or one of the only pregnant women to travel with their husband to go register. Mary was not necessary for the registry. According to the emperor, Mary wouldn't have even been counted in the census. The census was for men. Mary didn't have to go. They didn't have to go to her hometown. They didn't have to go to her ancestral place. Mary was unnecessary. It should have just been Joseph that needed to go and register. And some of you were like, yeah, but Joseph is this doting husband. And he wanted to be there with his wife while she um, was going to, to give birth. And, and yeah, okay, maybe, but not culturally. In fact, culturally, not only would women not have gone, but especially women would not have gone if they'd been pregnant. 
if they'd been close to expecting. Uh, they wouldn't travel a long road. They would have stayed home. And, and, and they would have had their child in relative comfort as opposed to um, on the move. And so the, the, the movement's only half complete, right? So, so God tells us centuries before that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth. God, at the appointed time, directs the steps of the Emperor Augustus to make a decree that everybody needs to go register in their hometown. Joseph has to go. That's half the equation. But yet, somehow God directs that Mary go with him. And I think the answer there is, go back to the text in Luke 2, uh, verse 5, is that she's obviously pregnant. See, God's even redeeming this discomfort socially that Mary and Joseph would have been facing by her getting pregnant outside of marriage. See, remember the story, right? Um, they're pledged to be married, but they're not married, okay? And so all of a sudden, Mary gets pregnant, and Joseph decides to divorce her quietly because he knows, everybody knows that they're not married, and that as she becomes pregnant, they understand that, that this, this isn't the right thing. But the angel comes and says to Joseph, no, 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 this is what's happened. Don't divorce her, but, but take her. Okay, she is, she is to be your wife because this child is from God and, and all of this is going to happen. And so, so Joseph does that, but nobody's confused about this child being uh, conceived outside of marriage. And if you're Mary and you're a pregnant 14, 15, 16-year-old, which was appropriate at the time, okay, so don't but it's appropriate at the time um, if you're married. If you're married and you're pregnant and, and you're not married and somebody says, man, how did you get pregnant when you're not married? And you say, man, it wasn't me. It was God. Holy Spirit conceived this baby in me. I promise I didn't do anything wrong. How do you assume that's going to go? Do you assume that people are going to look at you and say, wow, yep, virgin birth right here. Never happened before, but I'm all in. I believe it. Or are they going to be skeptical? And are they going to assume that you've made a mistake and now you're making it worse? See, so what happens is there's social pressure and, and, and Joseph, not leaving his wife to face that, takes her with. And so they travel to Bethlehem together because God is orchestrating and dictating circumstances. And they come and they're... they're in then Bethlehem at the time that Jesus comes. All because God is moving. And, and we're going to unpack more in Luke 2, and we're going to see more of this story. And we're going to be, again, tracking through how God is orchestrating all of these things. But now let's just start with this. That when the time was right at the exact time, because God is being gracious to us, he tells us centuries before, this is what it will look like. And then he orchestrates circumstances, and he moves things around so that we get to this point where it's happening just like he said it would, so that you and I get to use our brains when we process this. When we think about this, when we talk about this, when we share this with people, and people say, how can you believe that? Well, I tell you how I believe it. I believe it, one, because I know in my heart that it's true, but two, because 
Centuries before, God says that it would work out this way. What are the odds that it would just happen? And then look at all of the things that had to happen in God's timing to get us right here to this point. See, you get to believe these things and be rational. You get to believe these things and be using your whole brain and your whole heart. And God's timing is perfect. See, here, here's the other thing that I want you to remember in this, is that God's timing is absolutely perfect. Uh, we, we tend to think a little bit um, that, well, I'll, I don't know what you tend to think. I tend to think. I tend to think that, um, th- th- that God might dictate things. He might say things. But I tend to think that what I decide and what I do and how I act is probably the way that God wants it rather than the way that God acts is the way that he wants it. And so what happens is, is things like when I make a decision, uh, it, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't take me long to convince myself, well, this is God-ordained. Like, I want to do this. I've decided that this is right. So then I, what I do is, is, I, is I, I go look for proof text. I go look for ways that, that it must prove that, well, this is exactly what God wanted and you're right. I did that when Carrie and I got together. Well, this makes me happy, right? This works. So that must be what God wanted, even though we were doing everything wrong. Like, oh, but, it, but it's perfect. It's exactly what God wants. But God's timing is always better, and he dictates this throughout time. In fact, I, I was thinking about this, reflecting as we're prepping, prepping this sermon this week and thinking about ways that God's timing is always better than my timing and how God orchestrates things that, that he knows I'm in the moment, I'm thinking, how do I make this work? How do I fit it together? But he's been working for years behind the scenes. And we're thinking about Riley. Some of you know the story about our oldest daughter. She's 25. Um, We adopted Riley when she was 10. What most of you probably don't know is that we tried to get Riley when she was eight. Um, Riley's dad had died and we wanted to have Riley come live with us, and and so we decided that that must be from God because that was a passion we had in our hearts, and he must have wanted us to do that, and and so that's the way it was going to be, and and, um, it didn't work. See, but what you don't know about that, and you're like, wow, that was really noble of you guys, is that we weren't married. Um, We, (laughs) I'm not even sure that at that point we thought we should have been married, Um, and uh, it was one of those, it was an emotional gut thing. And so God um, said no. And we worked at it. We tried, we, we talked to people, we did whatever. We, we thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll move in together. We'll, we'll buy a house. Come on, really? I think you were still in school. Carrie was still a full-time student at St. Ambrose working a part-time job. And I was working in a residential treatment facility um, that paid about 13 cents an hour. And, and, and we're like, you know what? It's cool, right? No, it's cool. You know, Carrie will move in, Riley will get Riley, she'll be eight, we'll all share the room in the house I rent with three other guys. It'll be awesome. But God's timing is always perfect. See, so, so it's this thing that what, what, what happened then at that point in time is, is that God continued uh, to work and continued to work and continued to work. And then... Um, it's, it's two and a half years later, and, and we're married, and we're a little bit more stable, and we, we have more resources and some things that are better able to work, and God brings the opportunity back around so that we get to bring Riley home with us. 
One of the things we see in Scripture, and Advent is such a clear picture of it, and I I think if you stop, you'll see it in your life, is that God's timing is so good, and we want to rush ahead, and we we want to push things forward, and we want to dictate terms, and we want to speed things along, and we want to do a lot of things, but God's timing is always perfect. And God brings these at the appropriate time, and that's exactly what he did with Jesus. He says it, and then centuries later, he, he puts it into effect, and it happens, and we get to revel in his timing. But when the right time came, God sent his son. It's simple. When the right time came, God sent his son. It's the way that this works. God's timing is perfect. And and by the way, in this instance, it's perfect for some other reasons too. I mean, one, there was great anticipation among the Jews for the Messiah. They'd been waiting, right? Isaiah wrote, it's happening, it's coming, right? Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. All of this is happening. It's going to happen, okay? Um, And so there's this great anticipation amongst the Jews for the coming Messiah, okay? But there's more than that. Because God's timing is perfect, even though he says it way back here, with Isaiah, nothing happens for a while, and we're like, well, why doesn't God act now? We wanted Riley when we were eight. When she, We weren't eight. She was eight. Why didn't God act then? Because it wasn't time yet. We weren't ready. Well, when Isaiah writes this, it's coming. You know what? The world's not ready yet. But God's timing is perfect. And what happened from the time Isaiah wrote that to the time that Jesus actually comes is God is actually preparing the world. One is the hearts of the people start to look for the Messiah. It becomes cultural conversation among the Jews to be looking for the Messiah. Why? Because they're oppressed. God has has caused them to be oppressed. So they're looking for deliverance. Also, the culture was common enough. Okay, we we know this uh, from reading the Old Testament, but, but what happens is the Jews are taken into exile with Babylon. That's what we read about when we read the book of Daniel. Okay? And Daniel tells us when, when the Jews are in exile, he tells us what's going to happen with world powers. And then they happen exactly like that. And the first world power to come on the scene, okay, um, after the Medes and Persians is Greece. One of the things that Greece does, and we can read this historically, you don't have to, oh, well, the Bible says it, so it must be true. No, we know this historically, this happened. We read about Alexander the Great, and we read about um, the, the Greek Empire, and we read how the goal was to, the, the word they use is Hellenize. The goal was to um, Hellenize every place they conquered. And they conquered the known world at the time. They, got, they, they, they stalled finally uh, around India, but, but it was to conquer the whole known world. And then everywhere they conquered, instead of wiping out like the Babylonians did, what they did is they enriched. Okay, So they set up uh, they set up what they, what they called gymnasiums, uh, but, but not like we think of it, but they were cultural centers. And, and what happened at the cultural center was all of the young men and women were taught common language and common culture. They were indoctrinated. Some of you um, might argue that, that to a degree that's what happens at our schools today, but it's a whole different conversation. But, but that what happens is that our young men and women, then they would conquer these cities, they would set up their own ruler in the city, oftentimes having their rule marry a prominent woman in the city so that they would rule it together and they would set up these gymnasiums where all the young men and women would go and they would learn culture 
and they would learn language, and they were indoctrinated. That means at the time Jesus arrives, at the time the early disciples are spreading the gospel message, what happens is there's a common culture and a common language. So the same metaphor that works here will work here, and the same language that I speak here will work here, and it's common. And the world was safe enough because what happens after the Greeks and they're split apart, but eventually we have Rome come into play. And God's waiting until the world is ready. His timing is perfect. And what happens is when, when Rome becomes the world power, uh, there's common language and, there, and, and there's common culture, but Rome comes in and they conquer it all and they make it safe. They make roads from one place to another. They put in garrisons and outposts and centuries so that it's safer to travel on the roads. And everything is connected with common law. And so what happens is the timing gets perfect. And so we have Jesus born at just the right time when, when God says that at just the perfect appointed time, the emperor makes this decree. Jesus is born, and it's not just that. He's born in Bethlehem, sure, but then also the world is ready. Because there's a common culture and a common language. And there's a, there's a way for the message of the gospel to travel from city to city to city in a way that's safe and that they can communicate and that works. God's timing is perfect. Okay? And so I need you to understand that um, as we do Advent this year. Okay, it's just where we jump off. We're going to get into more of these things about how God uh, tells us prophetically what's going to happen next week, very briefly, because it's our, our children's program, but we're going to touch on, on why a virgin birth. Why was that necessary? And the answer to that is in Galatians 4, um, 4, 4, and, and we'll dig into that a little bit more, but, but we're going to be answering these questions of why, and we'll see that God told us that was going to happen too, back in Isaiah. He said, oh, by the way, here's a sign that this is happening, the virgin will give birth to a son. The government will be on his shoulders. All of this that Isaiah talks about, and we're going to see how it all comes to fruition so that we get to think this, but here's where I want to leave you for today. We'll ask the praise team uh, to get ready to come back up, our ushers to come forward, okay? Um, but, but what's going to happen um, as we wrap up our service today, I, I want you to start thinking ahead. I want you to be in anticipation of the next three weeks. Where are you at with God this Christmas? Where are you with Jesus? Are you as excited about the return of Jesus as you are about the coming of December 25th? When Jesus comes back, you'll forgive my poor um, analogy, but when Jesus comes back, Will you be jumping up and down going, I know him! I know him! Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Can you get that excited? If not, I want to suggest to you that with all due respect, because I know your life is, is different than mine and your life is hard and, and things are are hard, and I get it, but, but with all due respect, if you're not that excited about Jesus, there's, something's not firing right. Something's not connecting the way that it should be. Okay? The other thing I want you to be pondering this week as we get into next week is simply this. Do you recognize his sovereignty and his control? God is sovereign. 
God is in control. It was demonstrated through the prophecy in Micah. Only God gets to dictate the way that it's going to be. And then the way that he manipulates human history and circumstances to bring about exactly what he promised was going to happen. Be awed by that. Recognize that. Recognize that in the Christmas story and recognize that in your own life. God's timing is better than yours. Had this conversation with, uh, we've had it with Riley before. Had it with Vince, actually, not so long ago. Um, It's okay, it's not bad. Um, But it's recognize the timing. You know, Vince was talking about, well, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll buy, you know, maybe I should start looking for a house or this or that. And it's like, you know what, you know, don't jump ahead. God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always right. We have this conversation with Riley all the time. You know what, you're 25. You don't have to be 40 right now. Your life doesn't have to look like this. Be patient. Recognize God's timing in the way that it works. Not just in the Advent Christmas story, but in your life. Because the same God that dictates those circumstances, because of his goodness and faithfulness, is dictating yours. Okay? All right. As the ushers come forward, we're going to pray for this morning's offering. And as we do that, we're also going to pray for some folks that need um, prayers in the church. And I'm sure that we'll miss a few, but, but I want you to, um, to make sure that you're, you're as often as possible that you're in prayer for those uh, in the congregation that need it. It's a great privilege to be able to pray for folks um, that need our prayers, okay? Heavenly Father God, we thank you for the fact that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you for the fact that your timing is perfect, that you, not just as we unfold scripture, we see how you you, um, are in charge and and you you move things and you'll have your way, but God, we, we recognize that that's true in our personal lives as well. That you are in control and that you will have your way. God, we thank you for the truth that you share with us in scripture that, that, that allows us to, to logically, not just, yes, faith with our whole heart, but that one of the reasons we can, we can surrender with our whole heart uh, is because logically it holds up. And that's by your design. You show us that. Uh, we just thank you for that truth, and I pray that you'll help us to be excited, not just about um, celebrating the first coming of Jesus, but that we'll be excited about his return and that we'll be looking forward to his return, and that we'll be longing for his return. Father, today, uh, as, as we gather for worship, we recognize that there are people in our congregation, in our midst, that are hurting, that are sick, that are struggling. Uh, so, Father, we pray for them. We continue to pray for Scott um, in hospice uh, and the family that comes around him. We continue to pray that, that Christy will get stronger and, and get to come home in Ardell as he's in rehab will get stronger and, and be able to return. And we thank you that, that Sarah List is, is doing better um, and that she's home. Um, God, we just, there, there are lots of people uh, that need your prayers. Uh, we think especially of the Helms family today as, as they mourn the loss uh, of Connie. Uh, we, just, we just pray that you will um, come around them and, and that you'll that you'll hold them close and that you'll bind their hearts together as they grieve and mourn, but that in their grief they'll have this, that they grieve not as those who have no hope, but that they grieve 
as those whose hope is in Jesus Christ because Connie decided to follow Jesus. So God, it's, a, it, it's sad as, as we mourn her passing, but it's this great joy that we get to mourn or th- that we get to celebrate her eternal life. And Father, as, as it comes to the offering, I pray that you'll take it, that you'll multiply it, that you'll use it, use it in these great ways to bring people to faith, to help people understand, like Connie did before it was too late, that there is something so good that you offer, freedom from sin and bondage, light in the darkness, hope where there is none, God, that, that, that there is life in you. And I, I prayed that not just for her, but, but for all that are lost, that, that they would have the opportunity uh, to turn to you. And so, God, I, I pray that you'll, that you'll take this offering and that you'll do things with it that give us opportunities to share truth. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for all these things. Amen.